0: Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. That's right, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about the Barkley Hotel. But first, as always, we have shout-outs. Shout-outs going out to the patrons. Head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for even more episodes and all your patron kind of fun stuff's there. Shout-outs going out to Cobalt Slayer, Cobalt Slayer 42 to be exact, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, Esteban, and... Stephen, Cher, Jane, Ann, Jennifer, Heather, G, Zuzus, what's it? Paula Cassidy, Nico, Cher in the mouse, Paul, Mark, Tortuga, Hannah, Boo, Mike from Jersey, Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia mailman, Tony, Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Libido Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen, Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly, Joe, Menace the Beast, Kickass, Magic Robot, Webcomic, Sandy, Page, Couch, Bentman, Six Six Six. Andrew, andrew, Scott, A, Andrea, Melody, Vicky, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Alicia, Becca Jake, and the Beasties, Elizabeth Voidtek, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexandra, George, Seth, Zozo the Demon. <laughs> Aiden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Mangano, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Stacy, Jerry, Lindsay. Jeff T, Joe Lawrence, the Lawrence Strong. Veronica Autumn, J Mark Manning, Carolyn Martin, Jade the Nashy. Chuck Todd, Jamie and Elijah Henderson, Dan, Laura Pitts and gamer fan with special shout outs going out to Joe Teague and to Stitch. Alrighty, so I well let's see. Let's do paranormal news first and then we'll then we'll talk about this weekend. We'll you know you'll find out hold on let's do paranormal news first we'll be right back after this intro bumper fun cool ass music ghosted demons haunt the night strange objects fly through the sky shadow people are spending Knock on my door. A portal to hell opens in my room. It's time travel, man says the world is changing soon. Don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Hell yeah, kick-ass tune indeed. Alrighty, the first story in paranormal news comes to us from the Jerusalem Post. It says, could aliens be investigating us? It's more likely than you think. Aliens may be sending us very small dandelions, dandelion seed probes to gather information. Pentagon officials wrote in a document released earlier this month, I've talked about this document, but it, this goes into it a little bit more, the report, authored by Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, the director of the U.S. Department of Defense All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Arrow, and A.V. Loeb, former chair of Harvard University's Department of Astronomy, was published on March 7th and focuses on the physical, physical constraints of unidentified aerial phenomena. They explain that extraterrestrials may be exploring our system using what they call dandelion seeds. These are very small spacecraft that can collect and transmit information similar to NASA's probes. An artificial object carried on a small aircraft that will release uh, several small tracking devices may visit or has already visited Earth. The aircraft can rely on the gravitational force of the sun or move on its own. I think it's very cool that they're thinking outside the box. And um, one of the main reasons, as you know, is the Omoa Moa, or as I like to call it, Oo Mau Mau. When that rolled through our little universe there and everybody, our galaxy there, everybody's like, what the hell was that thing? So they're saying, well, you know what? These potential, quote, spy devices could be equipped with a parachute with a large area-to-mass ratio, slowing their entry to Earth's atmosphere. This would prevent the device from catching on fire and allow them to pursue their targets wherever they land. It is bizarre. They say, are they looking for intelligent life? Are they looking for liquid water? What are they looking for? We don't know, but they might be... More likely to be out there than we previously thought. Like I said, I thought that was a pretty cool... little bit more exposition on that that report that came out. Up next in paranormal news, Pentagon refuses to release footage of three UFOs shot down over Alaska by U.S. fighters' sidewinder missiles, despite admitting the images of that wreckage exist. So what do you make of that? Like, just that headline alone. You know the one. We had, like, three or four for... Um, UFOs that were shot down. One was a balloon over Florida. Then came Alaska, then came Canada, and then became then came Michigan. They abandoned, quote unquote, they said they abandoned the search for the Michigan one. The Alaska one, though, they said that they have recovered the footage and uh, the, the object and that they have footage of the objects being shot down. But they said they could not release the images, and they said they had no timeline as to when or if Images of the wreckage would ever be available. I don't know what to make of that. Like, it's very easy for them to say, well, it's a China, you know, it's a China satellite or a China spy balloon or Russia or whatever, you know, something earthly. So we can't do it because we want to keep, you know, national security. And I get that. And Dr. Travis Taylor talked about that prior um, on like the other episode, uh, the AlienCon episode with me so I can get that I can get behind that but is that what this all this is it's just national security or is there something more to it is there really a UAP a UFO that is of extraterrestrial origin that they can't show us sadly I don't think we'll ever really know unless something gets leaked I don't think they're gonna ever release the images the uh, Pentagon press officer said, "I can tell you that there is not currently any images or video footage that we can release. The imagery remains classified and I have not received any information as to the potential timeline on a change in classification." I don't I don't know what to think of that. I really don't. I would like to say that well, yeah, I mean that's just that's just them. That's the government. That's proof positive that they shot down a real alien UFO. But I don't think that's what it is. I don't know. I mean, there's obviously, you know, half of me goes, it could be that. It really could. And it could be. We don't know. But there's nothing conclusive for me to go, oh, that's 100%. They got themselves an alien. I don't know about that. It's not like Roswell is all I'm saying. Already up next in paranormal news, nearly six decades after seminal Montana, UFO incident, Air Force vets are briefing the Pentagon. This one is very cool. Hopefully it stays up because it it crashed last time I tried to get to it. On the um, the night of March 24th, 1967, Robert Salas was a 26-year-old U.S. Air Force lieutenant. He was 20 meters below the Montana Prairie overseeing weaponry that could obliterate millions. A a nuke. Without any warning, he said that that a menacing cluster of 10-minute men, one interconnect, oh, come on, Kurt, 10-minute men, One intercontinental ballistic missiles, ICBMs, that were beneath the Malmstrom Air Force Base stopped. He said, I thought we were under attack. Uh, Soviet technology couldn't have abruptly disabled the missile's guidance, but we didn't know what did because that's exactly what happened. Something disabled the missile's guidance and control systems. You would have to have sent individual signals to each missile and within seconds, we had no power. This had never happened before, and we have nothing that could do that now. That's from a guy that was there. He was freaking there. He knows this stuff. He says that um, just moments before the system's failure, a non commissioned security officer on the surface made a series of increasingly frenzied phone calls to Salas, describing an oval shaped form within pulsating, glowing orange red lights hovering over the installation. The NCO would also describe the object of the uh, the approach of the silent object, which was quote making unusual control maneuvers, such as flying very fast, coming to a dead stop, then reversing course and making ninety degree turns. He was screaming in the phone, terrified. I told him to secure the facility at all costs. Uh, let's see. Responding to his orders, other security guards scrambled to other launch sites in the complex, only to see glowing objects hovering over them too. It was reported that they lost radio contact with the flight security controller and were very shaken by the experience. Less than a minute after the pulsating object had arrived over his launch control center, it had quickly departed. The dumbfounded officer soon found himself in a meeting with his squadron commander and a special investigations officer and was told the incident didn't involve any kind of Air Force exercise. He said he was also told to never speak of the incident as it was now classified. Let's see, he said, I uh, signed a non-disclosure agreement. I didn't start talking about it until 1996. He recalls at the time in 1967, his colleague, Colonel Fred Meidwald, telling him there'd been an earlier similar incident, at Malmstrom, but only discovered decades later that occurred just eight days before his own experience. He also learned 10 ICBMs had been disabled under identical circumstances in, in September of 1966 at the Minot Air Force Base in North Dakota. Within a span of six months, we lost 30 nuclear missiles to UFOs. Uh, Let's see. Keep going on. The March 17th, 1967 communication contains clear expressions of alarm and bewilderment. All 10 missiles in Echo flight at Malmstrom lost strategic alert within 10 seconds of each other. The fact that no apparent reason for the loss of 10 missiles can be readily identified is cause for grave concern at this headquarters. Um... He stayed on for another two years on missile duty at Malmstrom. Said he never once heard the incidents mentioned, but added that he rebuffed security officer witnesses agitated pleas to discuss March 24th soon after it happened out of fear of breaching that order. That, you know, it's all classified. He says that the uh, release in recent years of U.S. Navy videos of pilots' encounters with unidentified aerial phenomenon, a trickle of other evidence that that taboo has thawed And last year, the U.S. Department of Defense created the Arrow, which he describes as a conduit for whistleblowers. Um, I think it's very cool. So there's a guy in his 80s that experienced it, that was there, that swore that he would never, ever talk about it. And now he actually feels that he can talk about it without ridicule, without uh, reprisal from the government, um, without that taboo, like he said. So I think it's really cool. He says it's a milestone for me because I'd never told my story to a government office. I went through all the details extensively. It shows that they're at least open to listening to witnesses and making an official record of what we say. He said he also provided Arrow with 22 pieces of documentary evidence, including written notes and video. Ooh, I'd love to watch that and read that. Let's see. Affidavits signed by several other officers 13 years ago also attest to the occurrences at at Minot and in Montana, which extended over months and whose frequencies even necessitated special UFO briefings. Um, Then they go to talk about the one that happened in Montana. Same kind of thing. Same bright lights. 20 meters in diameter, hovering about 100 meters over them. Pulsating lights. Shut down the missiles. Then from this dead stop, it shoots off to the east just like, now you see me, now you don't. Uh, A police officer encountered soon after that sighting, there had been more than 20 UFO sighting reports in the area that night. He said, my mind was blown. I didn't believe in UFOs when I was growing up. Uh, The day before Salas spoke to Arrow, uh, U.S. Air Force veteran Dr. Bob Jacob shared with the officers his recollection of September 14, 1964, the day he said he viewed... Film of a UF, UAP shooting down a warhead off the coast of California. That's incredible. Wow. <clears throat> I've been trying for 40 years to get the government to listen to me, and the aero official said, now you are. And Jacobs, of the nearly three-hour telephone briefing, he said, I was not interrupted. He only asked me not to name names, and I didn't. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. And he basically he ends the saying, when I saw it, my mind was blown. I didn't believe in UFOs when I was growing up. UFOs are real. Proof. That I consider disclosure. And I probably should have pushed that later on into the uh, to the paranormal news because no other story is going to match that. But I will try. Uh, Tic-Tac UFO with no visible means of propulsion was caught on camera over California on March 27th. That's yesterday. For the second time in less than two weeks... We have something mysterious happening with UFOs in the sky over California. The latest UFO sighting was recorded on video by passenger of a commercial Southwest Southwest Airline. Oh, this was on March 11th. So a couple weeks. the, The story came out yesterday, but it's about Saturday, March 11th, 2023. I was flying south over Central California on Southwest Airline 2463 from Sacramento Airport to San Diego. I was seated in the window seat on the left side in the middle of the plane right behind the left wing. About halfway through our flight, I was looking out the window and saw a tic-tac UFO in the distance traveling perpendicular to us. It was a white cylinder craft with no wings, windows, markings, or discernible features. It was a smooth white cylinder with no visible means of propulsion or exhaust plumes. The tic-tac UFO was in the distance a few miles from us. It was moving in a constant path. There was nothing remarkable, remarkable about it. It didn't move fast or hover. It was just moving at a constant speed and disappeared soon into the clouds. It was a few degrees above our plane, so at a similar altitude, and was northwest of our plane's orientation. I saw the Tic Tac side, and it was traveling perpendicular, come on, Kurt, perpendicular to us towards the plane. So it was traveling west. Say that um, she recorded the Tic Tac UFO for about 18 seconds before it disappeared into a cloud bank. Using FlightAware, she was able to determine that her plane was near Selma in Fresno County at the time of recording. There were no planes in the immediate vicinity, nor that matched the orientation of the tic-tac that was viewed from my window. And there is a video. So let me bump up the sound. Oh, that's going to go to commercial first. Oh, no, it's not. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, go back. Come on, lady. You had a spot on perfect. If. All right, that's too loud. If this is real. This is really neat. It's her shooting the tic-tac over like she's shooting over the you know video over the wing of the plane. Now she's zoomed out and I can't see it. But uh for a second there, it was like spot on right. Oh there we go, right in the center. I don't see any wings. It's definitely moving. It's not a balloon. Again, if this is real, if this is legit, and it should be because they know her name, they know what flight she was on, and they could tell if she was actually on that flight. That is interesting. Huh. All right. Well, I'm going to put that on the... uh, Actually, you know what? I almost... I always forget to do it. So I'm going to put it on the Facebook fan page now while I'm recording so you guys can say, what do you think of this video? Um, Tell me what you think. What do you think of this video? There you go. Now you know what time I was recording this episode. I can just tell you it's 7.22 p.m. Pacific time. But if you didn't know, now you know. Um. Wow, that one's really interesting. All right, I was wrong. I was wrong that, that nothing would match up or nothing would beat that last story, but uh, that's damn impressive. Damn impressive. Two for two for damn impressive, Kurt. Good job. All right, let's switch gears and actually talk about Bigfoot for a second. Minnesotans will have the chance to seek Bigfoot this June. That's right. If you're in Minnesota, there'll be a Bigfoot expedition led by a Bigfoot field researcher. Uh, let's see. Well, I'll watch that video in a second. It's about a, it's of a Bigfoot filmed in Baxter, Tennessee near Silver Point. Um, I want to watch that video in a second. But before that, I should give you the information first. Um, cost associated with the expedition run between $300 and $600. Those going on the trip should have their own camping gear as many times these expeditions take place in very remote areas. So it's not just going to be like, you know, let's walk to the edge of the woods and look in there and yell like idiots. It sounds like they're really going after them. Um, it doesn't give me any more information. Uh, Expedition will bring participants to areas they'll have encounters with Bigfoot at night. The odds of success depend on their selection of locations, among other things. But selecting the best locations depends on sighting and counter information. The more, the better. So the BFRO select organizers who have the most information in a given state. Interesting. I don't have any more information. So if you're in Minnesota, well, uh, you know, Google. It. I don't know, but I do want to look at. Um, <clears throat> I do want to look at this little. Video the Bigfoot filmed in Baxter, Tennessee, that's part of this news story. So let's click on that. I'm gonna zoom in. You just, do you see that? Yeah, it's the dead center in the that? center of the screen. You're about ten feet from him. Of course I see that. I'm afraid. To... Oh, it's a guy in a costume. It's a guy in a horrible costume. Oh my god. Oh my god. Really? Really? Oh my really? god. Finally, you see that? That video was a letdown. It's a guy in a fucking horrible, horrible costume. Like you, I'm talking like Party City, like $50 Bigfoot costume. Um, that was bad. I did see that. It was bad. All righty. Up next in paranormal news, Ghost Hunter left bloodied by violent spirit after being attacked on a live stream. A supernatural investigator reckons he's been attacked by a seemingly grumpy spirit on camera during a Facebook live stream. His name is Ghost Hunter Matt Paranormal. Well, of course, if you're going to name your kid Matt Paranormal, he's going to be a ghost hunter. That's just, like, if my name was Kurt Paranormal Almanac, you could pretty much guarantee that I was going to be Kurt, the host of Paranormal. That's just a waste of, come on. Anyhow, Ghost Hunter Matt Paranormal was sat in his Wrexham office in Wales. Oh, I do like the Wrexham. That's my favorite football team. In Wales on Thursday, March 9th, when a benevolent, a benevolent spirit lashed out at him. You can watch the chilling footage below. And guess what? I will. It says he was using an Alice box to detect the paranormal entities, which is a type of software device used in supernatural investigations to speak to the dead. According to North Wales Live, the box emitted the word threat and violent within the first few minutes of the live stream. I'm, I'm reading from the article. It says, yikes. The 35-year-old, dad of two, then advised the spirit that, quote, he wasn't afraid of no ghosts, telling the entity they could be violent towards. Okay, well, you're asking for it. You can't say, you just want to be violent towards me. Then when it's violent, you can't be a, oh, oh, can't be a wimp and be like, you hit me. That is no problem with that at all. If you want to, well, if you want to harm me, then please come forward, he said. Oh, I already hate this thing. Um... The paranormal investigator then felt, quote, the most painful scratch across his finger as he went to leave the room. When he looked down, he saw blood gushing from a ro- from a wound on his right hand. He bled for about 10 minutes and reckons the cut will leave behind a scar. A haunted scar? Who knows? Only time will tell. Who wrote this article? Really? Um, all right. Hug it. I'm going to watch the video. Ready? Here we go. Oh, loading an ad. Everything over. seems to
1: have happened, like, so quickly as well.
0: Oh, hold on. i got to go back to the beginning.
1: Everything seems to have happened, like, so quickly as well. Oh, nice. There's a touch of the REM pod there.
0: It is a touch of the REM pod.
1: Thank you for that. You're welcome. Wow, and the temperature change as well at the same time. Could you step away, please? Maybe. Maybe? Reverend. No, I need you to step away, please threat. I'm no threat to you and you shouldn't be a threat to me. Could you step away from that REM pod, please? Okay, you're going to set the other one off as well. I guess we're having it your way tonight. I'll just let you carry on. Violence. Violence. You can be violent towards me. I'm (laughs) no problem with that at all. If you want to harm me, then please come forward. I'm not afraid of you.
0: Well, you are now.
1: Uh, so these batteries in these REM pods have literally just been changed as well. I think Annie just spiked them at the same time.
0: Don't do it, so Matt paranormal. paranormal. Don't do Who it. We've
1: got here. Maybe How it long is Charles this? or?
0: Oh, okay, it's almost over. And there you go. I don't know. What is it yeah, calling? Ah, it. What's it happening?
1: Thank you. You've moved away now. Stay away from it. Okay, don't stay away. oh yes yeah, so hq you. is in the same it's in I the same building it's going to be in a bigger room uh, i feel like we've investigated all we can in this room now you know we've set the room looks hold on free. hold on i gotta pause a, for a second a i don't
0: i, I want him to get hit like nobody else but um so the room is lit by a red uh led light of some kind um it's got a mirror in the center and then dolls in little boxes, little glass boxes, and then dolls outside the boxes and then two more little mirrors and then dolls hanging from the ceiling. Like everything that every cheesy, you know, paranormal movie trope is happening in one video. And he's got two REM pods sitting in front of the mirror and then a teddy bear sitting on top of them. Oh, There's just a whole lot going on in here. Like I want to, I want to punch him, but Uh, He's no threat to me. So um, let me uh, press play if we got nine more seconds in this video. Hopefully it shows him actually getting hit because that's what it says. But let's see.
1: And her children from Charles because she was being abused. So she's now found the white light and is
0: free and happy. What? Hold on. Hold on. Ghost Hunter left bloodied by violent spirit after being attacked on live stream. Mm, I'm going to say no because I watched it and there is no attack and that it looks like he cut his little pinky finger and now he's bleeding a little bit. Oh, Matt Paranormal. No, look, I'm making fun of the guy, but it's it's mostly who wrote this article. But I'm sorry, I don't see I didn't see him get attacked on live on live stream. And I saw nothing that shows that anything paranormal was really happening other than a REM pod going off. All righty, up next in paranormal news, why left-handers are less likely to believe in God but more likely to believe in the paranormal? Does this apply to you? Oh, this is an old story. Why did it just pop up? That's weird. Thanks, IFL Science, for an old story. Uh, let's see. The study was published in the Journal of Evolutionary Psychological Science, um, and it doesn't really say why. So there you go. If you're left-handed, you probably believe in the paranormal more than you believe in God. Uh, I'm left-handed. I believe in the paranormal. So, neat. Alrighty, I think, yes. Up next, and it's a new story in Paranormal News, is a story I actually wanted to bring up a couple of times. Uh, a few people uh, sent it to me, and I kept forgetting to put it into Paranormal News. It's a fascinating freaking story. Anthropologists believe ancient human species could still be alive in the forests of Flores Island. Turns out that right after this story was released... There was actually an uh, earthquake just off of Flores Island, but they don't think it it did any damage to any inhabitants on the island, thankfully. But um, they think that these small, like, hobbit-looking little people are still alive. They originally thought that they had died out around um, 12,000 years ago, maybe 50,000 years ago. But now they're thinking they might still be alive because the locals are still seeing these people. And they said that uh, fieldwork revealed that uh, local observations of similarities and differences between a supposed ancestral species. Uh, it's too many words. Basically, hey, look, there's these things. They're kind of like little ape men, and people are still seeing them. Plus, we think that they've been mixing with the gene pool long enough that they might still be alive. I really hope there's a follow-up on that. I really want them to find, look, don't believe in shit all you want. But if science finds tiny little ape men on the Florence Islands, Flores Islands, then you can't tell me there's no chance that Bigfoot is real. You can't do it. There is, like, come on, people. This is an island, and these things have managed to stay alive and stay hidden from, you know, modern science. The shit's still out there is what I'm saying, people. All righty, that's it for Paranormal News. Um, Before I take a quick break, let's talk about the Parapod Festival. The Parapod Festival is happening this Friday and Saturday. Just to kind of give you an update of where what I'm doing, uh, I'm going to be at the Mentryville Ghost Hunt at 8 p.m. Ooh, uh, let me check. I want—I don't want to lie to anybody, because I know there are a couple of uh, paramaniacs that are going there. So, yes, 8 p.m., I'm going to do the Mentryville Mansion Nighttime Tour with Patty Negri. I'm very excited about that. So if you want to see me and also probably Sean Bishop. That's where you're going to see us. Also, besides Friday night on Saturday, we plan on getting there. Uh, what time did I tell Sean? I think it was like something like around noon, not too, too early, but we want to spend, you know, pretty much all day there. Let's see. Ba-da-bum-bum. Linda Moulton. Howe is at noon? And we definitely want to see that one. So there's a bunch of cool panels throughout the day. Um, so we're going to get there prior to noon, before noon, maybe like 11 a.m. Somewhere around 11 is what I'm going to tell Sean. Hopefully that'll be the case. Uh, the reception is at 6 p.m. The award show starts at 8 p.m., but I'm going to be there all day, basically, from 11 until I don't win the award. Uh, and then, you know, storm out of there. No, I'm not going to storm out. I, I'm just excited to be nominated. Um, but if you're going, please, please go. Please let me know where you're going to be. Um... We'll, we'll figure out like a meetup for all the paramaniacs, but like, let's just hang out. I think it'd be a blast. Let's go. Let's like right across from the, the, uh, the, the Hyatt in Valencia is supposedly a really good like bar restaurant. So like we can get a drink and, you know, hang out with some paramaniacs. That's the plan. I'm really looking forward to it. So if you're going, please, please let me know. Let me know what days you're going to be there. Uh, if you're going to be there at the 8 PM for the Mentriville, that's where I'm going to be there. That'd be Cool. I'd love to ghost hunt with you. I'm literally right in front of me right now. I am charging up and changing out the batteries on everything from EMF detectors to the spirit box, to the Ram pod, to the laser lights. Uh, I mean, you name it, I'm bringing every gadget under the sun that I can. Um, my little Fleer, everything. I'm going to bring it all and hopefully they'll let me use it. Cause fuck it. I'm bringing it. So fingers crossed. They'll let me use it. But, uh, the the point is i want to hang out with the paramaniacs so if you're going paramaniacs please please find me please hang out with me please please be friends with me is all i'm saying uh, but i'm really excited there's a bunch of really good um panels that day that i'm really excited about let me pull it up and i'll tell you which other ones that i'm i'm eager to see events and schedules for saturday um 10.15 on Saturday is Patty Negri and uh, Stefan Brigati enhancing paranormal investigations with psychic mediums. If I can get there in time, I want to do that one. I, I would love to be there at 9 a.m. For, for Jennifer's The Mandela Effect Explained, but I don't think I'll be there in time. Um, then there's Father Sebastian, the history of vampire culture at 1.15. Carolyn Corey making the paranormal normal using science to validate the paranormal. Uh, The Native American culture and history through song and dance happens from 4 to 5.30. Uh, Let's see. Holly Weird Paranormal and L.A. Not So Confidential are actually doing a live episode from there. I'm kind of bummed, honestly. I'll be honest. I'll say it. I'm kind of bummed that Paranormal Almanac wasn't asked to do a live episode because I would as well. But they're doing a live episode 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. also on uh, Saturday morning. I won't be there in time for that, I don't think. Who knows? Maybe I can. Maybe I don't know. It depends. Um, There's doing an amplifying your message with video, ancient wisdom, live reading with Char Margolis, Um, creating a true crime legacy on TikTok. Uh, UFO disclosure, is there a plan? That one I'm eager for. It's Ben Hansen's panel at 1 1 p.m. UFO disclosure, is there a plan? I hope to go to that one. Uh, Colby Rebel, fundamentals of intuitive investigations. Are you haunted by Sheena Metal? Patty Negri, the seance from four to five thirty. Sean and I really want to do that one. Hopefully, we can. Um, Ronnie LeBlanc, Bigfoot and the supernatural side of things, also from four to five. So who knows? But and then there's finally from six to seven thirty, Sheena Metal, skaraoke share your personal experiences. Like I say, I'm really kind of bummed. I would have loved, absolutely loved, to um, do a live episode from them, from uh, from the Parapod. Festival. I'll let him know. Maybe I'll talk to Tony. Maybe I can get that for next year. I think it'd be fun. Um, but there's also more stuff. That's just like the tip of the iceberg. I mean, there's a, there's a ton. It's a packed, packed schedule. It's going to be great. But for Friday, from 12 to 4, there's a daytime ghost investigation. Uh, 7 p.m. There's stargazing with Ben Hansen. And then from 7:11, there's hourly tours of the haunted Mentry Mansion. Like I say, Sean and I will be doing, or at least I will. Hopefully, Sean will be doing it. I think he will. Uh, at 8 p.m. So, I don't know. If you want to stalk me, I just gave you my entire schedule. If you want to hang out with me, even better than stalking me from what I've been told. So, that'll be cool. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. All righty, I did, I forgot to mention, I should have mentioned it. We're back, by the way, in case you're wondering in case you're wondering why the music stopped and then someone started talking without saying we're back. Well, we're back. Uh, so we're back. Uh, I should have mentioned that the next episode will probably be all about the Parapod Festival because my plan is to, you know, like, do a bit. Hopefully I can record a bit while we're doing the Mentreville ghost tour. I really, really want to record some, so I can hopefully have a a bit of a paranormal investigation on on video uh, that the videos will be shared with the patrons first, then hopefully I can share it with everybody, but the next episode, regardless of the videos or whatnot, will be about the Parapod Festival and how it was and you know, how many of those bad boy awards I brought home, uh, spoiler, it'll probably be zero. Don't worry. I'm not being like negative. Everybody's like, you can't be negative. You got to be positive. No, I'm just kind of being realistic. I'm, I'm up against Patty Negri. Who's on Ghost Adventures? She's a psychic. Who's on Ghost Adventures? Um, in one category, so you know, I have a feeling she's going to win, and that's fine. That's good on her. Glad to hear it. And the other one that I'm um, nominated for is the best UFO podcast. And um, I don't know. It, it. I don't know who the. I don't know who the judges are. So if you're a judge, thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you're not a judge, you know what good are you? No, I, honestly, I'm just happy to be nominated. It'll be cool. It'll be fun. And it kind of takes the pressure off kind of going into it thinking there's no chance I'm going to win so I can just have fun and enjoy and meet and network with a bunch of very cool, like-minded paranormal people. Um, uh, Like I said, I would like to hopefully I'll get to meet the Holly weird paranormal uh, people there. They seem very, very cool. Um, but if you know, if not, well, then that's how it is. But anyhow, once uh, let's get right into this one. Let's talk about what we're really here for. The Barkley Hotel. Another hotel. Yeah, yeah, it's another hotel, but it's another haunted hotel. And for every person that says that the Cecil Hotel is the most haunted hotel in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, if you want a haunted hotel, you got to go see the Cecil. Well, there's also people that go, no, 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 man. It's the Biltmore Biltmore is really more haunted than even the Cecil. And there's other people that go, nah, man, it's the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. That's the real haunted one of Southern California. Well, there are people in the know that disagree and say, no, actually, it's the Barkley. And you'll have to make up your your own mind if you think for very good reason or not. But some people say for very good reason. All right, let's go way back to the beginning. I want to see when the shit first started happening. It opened up in 1897 in downtown LA. It was named the Van Nuys. Now, when it was opened, it was said to be one of the finest hotels in all of Los Angeles. But hold on. Let's go back a year to 1896 to when it was being built. When, according to a newspaper article about the building said, James McNully in company with other workmen, was engaged in hoisting a large oil tank. The rope broke and a tank fell with a crash. McNally's right kneecap was broken. He was badly cut over the right eye and was bruised about the body. So, some people think that this was the first bad omen of the Van Nuys-Barclay Hotel. But wait, there's more. Uh, another first bad omen happened in... Well, it's going to happen in about a minute. I got to get some, through some fun facts first, but it's coming up in just a minute. All right, fun facts time. So the Van Nuys slash Barkley Hotel. It was the first hotel to provide telephone and electric service to every room. So it was very, very high end. Uh, it doesn't, it didn't stay high end, but when it opened, it was very, very high end. Uh, there were 32 rooms on each floor with 60 private baths and 10 public baths. Last kind of fun fact. It is the oldest hotel in continuous operation in Los Angeles. Okay, that is kind of cool. And in my opinion, a fun fact. All right, let's go to 1911. There was a fender bender car accident in front of the Van Nuys Hotel. Now, when the truck was hit, a marble tombstone with the name Teddy on it fell from the back of the truck, and people, for whatever reason, just kind of freaked the F out. It says, according to the newspaper, the Los Angeles Times reporting about it, horrors, horrors, not horrors, horrors, horrors shrieked a telephone operator who happened to be near. Two or three men stood and wondered while the poor porter rustled and tussled to get the obstre- obstreperous, obstreperous marble back in its packing case. He was too slow, however, to keep several people, others from passing, from seeing the thing. The question at once arose, who's dead? That's in a news article about a tombstone falling out the back of a truck when it got in a little fender bender. I get it's 1911. There's probably not a ton of news going on, but still. Everybody take a a Coca-Cola, because I'm sure it had, like, cocaine or opium or whatever the fuck was in it. Like, just take opium. It was legal then. And calm the F down, dudes. Relax. All right. So he gets it back in the truck and he leaves. Turns out a dog had died and the tombstone was made for it. And they were stopping there at the hotel to show the Fips the who stayed at the Van Nuys their dog's tombstone. It's Very sad. Very sad occurrence. So they were showing it. Boom. Got hit by whoop. Tombstone fell out. Ah! Everybody freaks out. It says Teddy. They put it back in and they drove away. Some say that this was the start of bad omens. I say, who cares about a tombstone that fell out of the back of a truck and that was put back in and then it drove away? Why would that be the start of the omens? Bad omens, that is. I don't agree. Okay, so it's time for the third first bad omen that people say are the start of the hotel. So the hotel had only been open for two months when, quote, the horrific death of a waiter named Charles Gamble happened. Again, L.A. Times. So Gamble was one of two waiters whose duty it is to deliver meals to the various rooms. He was sent to the third floor to get a tray of dishes and returned by elevator. When the cage neared the first floor, the elevator boy, Robert White, turned the wheel of the lever the wrong way, and instead of stopping, the cage started to, started up to the top again. As they neared the third floor... The elevator boy reached for the door, opened it and stepped out, leaving the elevator moving and Gamble inside. Apparently, Gamble became frightened for he tried to get out also. As he stepped forward, stooping, the top of the doorway caught him and threw him forward. The floor of the elevator rising and pinning his legs above the thighs. They snapped like pipe stems, pipe stems, sorry. They snapped like pipe stems and the machine still going up held him by one foot only. Finally, that was smashed and Gamble shot head foremost down the shaft, striking on the basement floor three stories down. So that's from the L.A. Times article. Horrific freaking article. So basically, the elevator guy, I'm not going to call him elevator boy, the elevator guy, boom, going down. Oops, put it the wrong way. It starts going back up. For whatever reason, he's like, well, fuck this. I'm out of here. He steps out. Gamble goes like, oh, my God, I'll be trapped in an elevator moving by itself. I don't know how to use the one lever that can control an elevator. He tries to step out. Boom, he's pinned, pinned by the legs. They pull him up. His legs snap like pipe stems. Holding him by one foot. (laughs) Then he fell head first down the shaft, three floors down. His skull was fractured and he died at receiving hospital one hour later. Alright, Kurt here. That one sounds like a bad omen type of thing. So you know what? Hold on. Let's do. I'm gonna need a scorecard here. Um where is here we go. So let's do uh score one for the hotel. Alright, so we got score one for the Barkley. Uh let's see. Then 1901, oh wait, 1901, are we going back? We are. There was another elevator accident that took the life of Joe Cato, a hotel employee who looked down the elevator shaft only to have his head crushed by a 5,000 pound weight. Score two to Barkley. So technically 1901's first, and then 1911. Also, don't like ever do that. Look, if you look down an open elevator shaft, the most you're going to see is a dark elevator shaft. And the least is your skull getting crushed by a 5,000 pound weight. Look, it's just not worth it is what I'm saying. righty, so we got two for the Barkley so far. Now, stuff started happening that sounds like the kind of things that happened in, you know, 1900s in downtown hotels like these. I'm talking, you know, thefts, bar fights, gunfights, muggings, con men stealing or skipping out on bills, Uh, sex workers. Then Pacific Electric's Henry Huntington was stalked in the hotel by, I don't know, some insane dude who had been injured by one of his company streetcars or something. So he's being stalked. So they're calling that a bad omen. Then a knife fight between kitchen staff in 1902 left hotel butcher Evan Roberts dead in the hotel. Three for the Barkley. All right, let's move ahead in time. Oh, I, I, I don't have the moving ahead in time sound. So, 1909 to the, quote, next spoiler, death um, at the Barclay. That's when Ada Tilt Otis, a Chicago heiress, checked into the Van Nuys. She had recently divorced her husband, and a friend said at the time, although she had everything money could buy, she was the most unhappy woman in the world. Now, she told a friend, who then told the paper, When I got my decree of divorce, I resolved I would never marry again. I tried society, but it's varagies, vagaries, vagaries, ah, there we go. Vagaries disgusted me. I felt the whole game of life is not worth the candle that it takes. And as well, you might have guessed when I said, uh, spoiler death, uh, she took some poison and killed herself. She was discovered by the staff and her body was shipped back home. Um, you know, to be buried. Uh, so what is that, four, five? I think that's five. I'm going to say five. I'm going to keep going. Uh, it's five known deaths, but there's possibly a couple more by this point, depending on where you get your information. But I really kind of wanted to weed out some of the BS. So I'm going to say, even if it's four, I'm going to say we're at five at this point. Now let's move on back to 1911. When that uh, Phipps guy, the Phipps guy that I was talking about, the one that was staying in the hotel when his dog died, is looking at the tombstone. All righty. Uh, he's old, he's rich, he's living in the hotel, and he thought it was haunted by what he said was, quote, the black hand, and the black hand was out to get him, and, you know, he died in the hotel. (coughs) Hotel six, uh, not hotel zero. Alrighty, let's move on to 1920. Now, this one is the only one that I could find that is unnamed, but they do say it was in the newspapers. I can't find it, but I'll I'll take them at the word. An unnamed man attempted suicide at the hotel. He died. I don't know why they say attempted suicide. He died. Maybe because he attempted suicide and then died in the hospital later. I don't know. Then in 1924, William Edward Collier fatally swallowed a cyanide pill in front of a hotel employee, or I didn't say pill. I guess it just says fatally swallowed cyanide in front of a hotel employee who was helping him pack his stuff. A petition for divorce from his wife and a suicide note were found in his stuff when he died. All right, here's the grain of salt unconfirmed suicide note that he left that is on a ton of sites. Grain of salt time. I can't verify if it's real. To my wife, Ida Ida Collier, my darling, I never more to return. I have done my best and this is the only way I can give you the freedom you crave. I leave you with your conscience. I wish I could prevent the suffering you're going to have to endure. You can't escape that inner being which will gnaw at your vitals to your dying breath. You'd made me a cheat and a liar before the world, and I gladly assumed the burden for you. You murdered my soul. Now you kill my body. So as you go through life, think of the soul roasting in hell because of you. Each night, watch my face float before you, and each day, hear the moans of the tormented soul you blasted and sent to hell for eternity. Look, I really want to believe that's real, because that's such a fuck you. I mean, it's constantly like, I'm dead, it's your fault. You killed my body, you're going to roast in hell. Like, good on him if that is really the case, but I I can't say it's real. So let's see, uh, what's the score? I think it's Hotel 8. All righty. Then in 1929, the name of the hotel was changed to the Barclay Hotel. Okay, whatever. I, there's a bunch of like backstory behind it. It doesn't matter. Let's keep on moving on to the next death. It happened in 1937 when Elizabeth Rays or Reis, R-E-I-S, a wealthy 71-year-old woman from Akron, Ohio, checked into the Barclay. And I, Kurt, assume surprisingly, that on December 29th, a maid found her seated in her chair. You know, it seems fine, right? You walk in and she's sitting in a chair. Oh, sorry about that. Nope. Her skull was fractured. A news story at the time said, quote, a brick was found in the woman's bed. The bed clothing was also saturated with blood and articles of clothing scattered about the room. So they're like, oh, some guy broke in, smashed her on the back of the head, fucking horribly uh, with a brick and then rifled through her crap. Okay, but it's said that she was found still wearing a very large diamond ring and a gold watch sat on the top of her dresser out in the open. Hotel nine. Then 1937, a woman disappeared. Depending where you get your info, was either presumed dead or was found days later and taken into an insane asylum. So sorry, hotel, no points for you on that one. In her room, Management found a paper bag stuffed with clothes and a college diploma. There was also a note addressed to the Barclay staff that said, For weeks I've been looking for a job and haven't found one. Now I'm at the end of my resources. No money, no job. I haven't eaten in three days. I haven't any money to pay for this room. Isn't it funny? I have a college degree and it means less than nothing. Life's like that. Marvelous world, isn't it? Thanks for your kindness, Doris Fowler. All right, but no, no points to the hotel. Sorry, because I can't prove that she died. There are some saying that she was found later, sent to an insane asylum. So no points for the hotel. Then, 1944, Virgie Lee Griffin. Sadly, she got drunk with a dude named Otto Stephen Wilson in a downtown nearby bar. Now, he took her back to the Barkley, and (sighs) hotel score 10 Because it turns out he was a vicious sadist with, quote, a thirst for blood, whose ex-wife claimed that, quote, he slashed her buttocks with a razor and licked the blood as he apologized to her for his actions. Look, I don't want to kink shame, but that's a red flag, ladies. All righty, here's a snippet of the horrific details from the court records. He choked the woman and then indulged in an orgy of stabbing, cutting, and severing parts from the woman's body using the knife he had just purchased. He claimed that the choking took place during an argument following a demand by the woman for $20 after reaching the room. The defendant stated his original plan was to cut up the body of his victim as to carry it out of the hotel in package form. To this end, one leg was severed, but the plan was then abandoned because of the difficulty of its accomplishment. Instead, the severed parts of the body were placed in a closet of the room. Once he was done, he went across the street to watch a show at the Million Dollar Theater. Because that's what you do after you s- horrifically butcher a woman. Uh, Let's see. Uh, eventually, Eva Dunn, a maid at the hotel, found Griffin's mutilated body when she opened the closet door. Not done yet. Three days later, Otto butchered Lillian Johnson in another hotel. Now, he was arrested on November 16th in a nearby bar, when his bruised, bloodied, bruised, blood-stained hands caught the attention of Lieutenant Harry Donlin of the Los Angeles Police Department. Alrighty, so uh, Barclays Hotel score eleven. Some other random hotel gets a score of one. Alrighty, let's jump in time, big time, to the 1970s. The Barkley is kind of in disrepair. It's kind of getting dilapidated. It's in Skid Row. Uh, It's in a bad place. There were three fires at the hotel in the early 70s, one of which killed three residents. Barkley, 14 deaths now and counting. Then, on January 25th, 1975, in room 528, a drifter named Samuel Suarez became a victim of serial killer Vaughn Oren Greenwood who is also known as the Skid Row Slasher. All right, let's take a quick look at the Skid Row Slasher. Skid Row Slasher was an African-American man He was convicted of nine counts of murder, including eight of the Skid Row Slasher killings. The Slasher victims had their throats cut from ear to ear, and there was evidence that he drank the blood of his victims. He actually left cups of blood... Uh, around the victims, and then rings of salt around the corpses, which made some people believe that it was a satanic ritual, but that hasn't been proven. Uh, he was also convicted of nine counts of murder in 1977, was sentenced to life in prison. He since died, I think in 19 tw- or in 2020. Alrighty, so that leaves a uh, hotel score. 15, and possibly more, depending where you get your info, because a lot of Greenwood's murders, just list, quote, sleazy D- downtown L.A., DTLA, sleazy DTLA hotels as the scene. So it is unclear to me anyway if he killed more at the Barkley. But he was killing a lot in sleazy hotels all around the Barkley. Could be more. But at the very least, hotel death score of 15. Then, 1985, Marvin Walker was trying to steal a TV from a room at the Barkley. He carried it to the window. Then, when he tried to pull it out onto the fire escape, he lost his balance and fell over the railing, landing on the sidewalk. So, uh, Barkley... 16, with an assist from Karma on that one. But we'll still give you the points, Barkley. Then, uh, let's see. September of 1997, a shooting at the Barkley killed one and injured another. Barkley score 17. Then the next known one happened in 2017 they think there are even more that happened at the barkley hotel but because they're so new out of respect for the families they weren't uh you know like broadcast it wasn't like said you know this murder happened at the barkley hotel um you know the families probably know about it but as for the actual like death count they think there's way more but the next known one Happened in 2017. It was a tragic accident when Kelly Wong, age 29, was conducting a training exercise at 348 South Main Street, which is near the Barkley Hotel, but apparently on the the ladders or whatever, um, when he fell from a telescopic ladder and died. <coughs> Barkley score 18. People are saying the curse of the Barkley Hotel was to blame for this one. Um, and finally, there's a bar there or was a bar there called Bar 107. It's not open right now, currently, but it's been a few bars popping in and out. Uh, it's always like been a like very eclectic-looking bar, but it's also a known ghost hotspot with at least two ghosts that are seen there often. So, the Kurt Barkley score, I give him a total score of 18. Um... But probably way, way higher. There are all indications that that score is probably almost twice that. I mean it's there's a lot lot more of murders and suicides and victims of the Barkley or at the Berkeley Hotel, however you want to word it. But the Berkeley Hotel, man, it is it should be just as well known as the Cecil Hotel, and it's not. There are like I said, there are people in the know. They go, oh, my God, it's way worse than the Cecil Hotel. But you wouldn't know it because, you know, some things catch on with with fans and some don't. I have a feeling you're going to hear a lot more about the Barclay Hotel coming up very soon by a lot of people and a lot of shows. But here's a fun fact. Last fun fact of the night. Unlike the Cecil Hotel, you can still book a room at the Barclay so guess who might be staying there in June. That's right, April and May are all booked up for me, but June, maybe the end of May, but but June I'm going to try and stay in the Barclay and if it works out I'm going to be doing an episode live from the Barclay Hotel. As far as I can tell, this would be the only live episode from the Barclay Hotel. Kind of excited about it. Okay, sorry about the technical difficulties. I think I got it all worked out. But what I was saying is I think it's going to be kind of neat. As far as I can tell, I will be the first podcast, hopefully, unless someone runs as soon as they hear this and does a podcast episode from it, which, if that's the case, good on you. It doesn't really matter in this world. But hopefully, I'll be doing a live episode from the Barclay Hotel. And if you're a patron, that'll be video as well. So it'll be definitely worth being a patron for that one. Well, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Savig. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Paranormal Almanac. See you guys next week, talking all about the Parapod Festival. I'm excited. Hopefully, you guys are too. Hi, I shall soon be smart.